This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where we interview real principals who are doing amazing things to help our students every single day. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I am really excited to welcome Andy Green to the show today. He is the principal of Candlewood Middle School in Long Island, New York, and you are going to learn so much from him today, you will not even be able to believe it. When we first recorded this episode, we recorded it before Christmas, and Andy took the time to record it with me. We had a great interview, and somehow some technical difficulty prevented it from recording, and so I lost all of the great things that he said, and Andy was so generous to be willing to record again and make sure that you all could learn from the great things that he is doing. And he really is amazing. You are just going to love this interview. I am really excited about it. What he talks about today is mostly about professional development and professionalism at his school. Um, and that is where his real talent is. He shares a couple documents and a bunch of emails that you can find in the show notes to help you understand how he goes through things and how he teaches his uh, staff about those things. He's amazing and you're going to love it. I'd like to talk about our sponsor for today, SaneBox. What SaneBox does is they take your email and filter out the things you don't need and give you the things you need right away and save the things you don't need for later when you do have time to look at them. As principals, we get tons of email. Some are very important, some are not important at all. And SaneBox does a great job of filtering out those non-important emails so you're not interrupted by things that don't need your attention right away. I've been using it for a couple months and I love it and it saves me a ton of time. I'd like to talk about security today. SaneBox guarantees that you never have your emails on their server. Their servers only take your headers and make decisions based on the headers that are in your emails. So Fortune 500 companies use them and so do other important entities that need to keep their documents private and that's a very important thing especially for us educators dealing with sensitive student information. We don't want that to fall into the wrong hands and so they make sure that they never have anything but the headers. Please give them a try by using the link in the show notes. Let's talk about your professional development and your uh, goal and plan for when you conduct professional development at your school. 
one of the things that is very important for me as a principal is that people are continuous learners. So every opportunity I have, whether it's faculty meetings or hallway conversations or post-observation conferences, is an opportunity to to teach and to take my staff from point A to point B. So professional development for me is critical. And I think when I hire people, there's really two big words or two big concepts. One is that they're continuous learners, and the other one is that they play well with others. Uh huh. Yeah, those are both very important. Um, how do you how do you do that continuous learner talk in an interview? What does that look like? Well, on an interview, um, depending on who I'm interviewing, you know, I'll ask questions uh, to see what what they know. And my interviews are kind of tough. Uh, I'll ask questions that I know that they may not know, but I want to see their thought process. For example, a question that I may ask is, um, what would you see if I'm observing, if I'm uh, evaluating an administrator, what would you see difference in a class that's an understanding based class versus a a class that teachers just cover content? What kind of strategies would you use? What would the teachers be doing? What would the kids be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the toughest feedback you ever had? And what would, how did you learn from it? You know, those kinds of questions. But for my teachers, as you remember, we talked about um, every month, my faculty meetings are a, like a one-hour mini college course. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's on data-driven instruction or it's on cooperative learning or on questioning techniques, I try to plan my faculty meetings where it's 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 um, – Teachers are in groups or pairs or triads, and we go over, you know, specific topics. It's never a sit and get meeting. It's always a meeting to learn and to grow. Great. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit. Take one of the faculty meetings that you really enjoyed doing or one that you've done recently and talk about how you prepare for that, what goes into preparing for that, and then how you uh, – just talk about how you prepare for that first. Every time I have a faculty meeting, I use a backwards design process in, in mind. You know, what kind of goal do I want? And then I think of content and process. What do I want to cover and how am I going to do it? How are teachers going to be paired, grouped, that kind of thing? Right. And what handouts, materials am I going to use? Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I do – I did just something on visible learning in the last faculty meeting. Right. And we gave out – you know, as a, I gave out an example of like 15 strategies, and I asked the staff – what do they think are the most research-based and highly effective strategies? And then I had them work in groups and then I gave out the answers and then I had them kind of reframe it and say, you know, go back and and so on and so forth. And then we talked about um, what they use in their own class and how could they incorporate those strategies in class. Um, So that's the kind of thing we do. And whether it's UBD or visible learning, we try to do a combination of training information and then how can they use it in their situation? Gotcha. So there's always a goal that it's somehow applicable to them. And uh, I imagine you probably don't ever have people say, well, this doesn't work for me. I teach this subject. And so it doesn't work. Do you ever have that happen? Well, as an administrator, as a leader, you have to be able to answer those questions. You can't present something that, you know, you can't answer. So, uh, you know, when you when you present this and you give examples, yes, you have to be able to answer those questions. And in some cases, like, for example, in beginning foreign language, the understanding by design framework 
is not is not as um, uh, helpful as it is in social studies or science because right. it's a beginning foreign language class. Although there are so many big ideas and essential questions you can pose, there is a balance there for those beginning foreign language classes. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, how do you uh, how do you how do you make sure that each of your teachers is getting something? meaningful out of it, even if it may not be as applicable to them? Because those teachers still have to come to those meetings, right? Yeah, we have uh, a faculty meeting one hour a week, once a month. Uh, I'm sorry, once a month, one hour, not one hour a week. And, um, you know, I don't believe in the golden arrow theory, whether it's an article, a faculty meeting, a post-observation conference, a hallway conversation. Uh, I send a weekly planet out with an article every week. Um, I will try to hit it in a bunch of different ways. Um, so, and we do follow up, whether it's our informal walkthroughs or our conversations. Um, and also what, what I say to my faculty is, uh, my conversation is no, no parking lot conversations. If you have mm -hmm. something to say, we talked about it, say it now. Because when we leave here, I'm going to hold you accountable to the commitments that we've made and to what we agreed upon. So if you have something to say and you have an issue, let's kind of rock and roll. Let's go. Let's talk about it here. Right. And, and you're comfortable letting people disagree with you or ask questions or have concerns in front of everybody all at once. Um, and how do you, how do you handle those situations? Yeah, as long as people are respectful, um, which they are, I have a great staff, but they can disagree or raise a point, and I have to be good enough in my practice to respond to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't allow one person to ruin it for the group. In other words, if the will of the group is known, um, then we go ahead with it. And as long as person had their voice heard, and it may not be their top choice, but if they understand the issue, we're going forward with it. Uh -huh. So I think a while back I sent you our mission and our commitments and so yeah. on and so forth. And that's – we did that all together. So even though there may be different degrees of, of adherence to it, that's what we agreed to. So I can call the teacher in and say, you know what? We agreed that you're going to share your room flexibly with a colleague and you only gave them like one draw. That doesn't cut it. you know. Right. And, and so that allows me to do that. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your expectations. So you sent me two documents, which I'd like, if you're okay with that, to, to post for other principals to look at and see. Sure. Um, so there's the, the mission doc, mission and vision, and then there's also the general professional expectations. Right. So I want to go over a couple of the professional expectations that you have, because some of them I think are really valuable for people to see. Um, right. So, uh, for example, one of them on the general leadership expectations is that you're you're asking people to contribute in positive, meaningful ways for the culture to the culture of your team, department and building um, and to not confuse input with decision making. All input is considered prior to a decision being made. It does not mean that no one listened if the decision made does not abide by what you think. What I like about that um is that it lets people know that that we're going to talk about these things and we're going to have a discussion, um, but that doesn't mean that everybody gets to decide. There's going to be a decision at some point, and and you may not be involved in the decision, but you're certainly allowed to give input. Talk about how that works at your school. Yeah, I mean, I think – listen, one of my leadership philosophies is being as transparent as possible. So for me, 
transparency is that, you know, we'll listen to your input when we have a decision, but just because you gave input and if we don't do what you want, it, it doesn't mean that we didn't listen. So I, I break it up. I like Mike Schmoker's attitude. There are decisions that are my decision, our decision, and your decision. And I try to clarify that concept with the staff. So fire drill, my decision, get the hell out of the building. You know, right. our decision could be something with um, hats in the building, you know, letting hats, kids wear hats. And your decision is how you plan your lessons in terms of once we agree upon the big ideas and the concepts, how you want to do that. So we kind of give some examples and then really work on the teachers understanding the idea that, you know, input is input. I also work with my building reps. I don't know if you have union reps uh, mm-hmm. in your in your building. So I also work with my building reps frequently on those kind of issues as they arise. Yeah. I imagine that your um, union is probably a lot different than ours. Ours is called an association, first of all, not a union. Um, and we have one rep per school that, that works with people. But from my perspective, the the association is not they're not involved too much in making these decisions. We have a building leadership team that, that gets together and makes those decisions. How, how big of a role does the union play at your school? How involved are they? No, not a big role. I mean, they get involved when there are issues with teachers, uh, when there's, you know, something going on in the building related to contracts generally, um, some personnel issues. I will call my building reps in if there are two colleagues who need to have a, you know, not not dad involved, but, mm-hmm. you know, colleague to colleague, I'll ask them to help out. Um, uh, so not a real big issue in terms of decisions, but those kinds of issues they're very helpful with. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so also on this expectations document, it uh, there are essential questions for teachers. Right. Um, and let's talk about that first one. What is my role within the system? Explain what that means and how you communicate that to staff and what your expectations for that are. I want staff to understand that they like wheels in a cog, that they're not, you know, a clam digger that works on the great South Bay of Long Island by themselves, <laughs> that their role is to be a member of a system and that they have an obligation not only to their students, but to other students and as well as to their colleagues and secretaries and administration and custodians. So we talk about that. Their role they're not a college professor who just comes in and, and does it. They have to be a generalist, and uh-huh. that's kind of what I work with them on. If they see a piece of paper in the hallway, pick it up if you get, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, um, that may not work all the time, but uh, yeah. the, the idea that they're one of one of many is important. Yeah, and that they are part of a system. You know, using a cog in a machine may be a little derogatory to some people that they, they don't they, – don't matter and they're right. not real. And and I want to reiterate that you're certainly not giving that impression when you say that. But you, from what we've talked about before and what you've said so far, that they really are a team member and being part of a system and not just somebody who's out on their own all the time, you know? No, it's it's like having a football team and the left guard says, no, I don't want to run that play. I'm running this play. Well, no, we're going to the left. <laughs> You know, we're running over tackle. We're not running to the right. Right. They have to understand the, the athletic analogy is an apt one, that they are a member of a team or an orchestra or a band, anything like that. That's the analogy I use with them a lot. We all have different parts to play, but we're a member of the same group. So I found the music the music analogy a good one when I'm working with staff. 
Right. And they have to understand that the expectations that we have and the commitments that they make, you know, that is something that I hold them accountable for because it's accountable to all of us, not just them personally. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so another uh, essential question that you have on here is um, what are my obligations to my colleagues, support staff and administration? Um, talk about how you review that with your teachers and what that means. Well, we talked about simple things from obligations to getting their paperwork on time to obligations to cover a, a colleague's class if they have a family issue to an obligation on not having the custodians have to do extra work in their room because they allow kids to eat. I mean, so from the simple to the complex that the obligations are, again, like a family, you have an obligation to be respectful to be sensitive, to have empathy, and to be, you know, that that good team member. And you have an obligation to share what you've learned. So you can't hoard materials and and that kind of thing. So we, you know, th this is an ongoing conversation that we have, you know, many times throughout the year. It's not a one shot in the beginning of the year and then that's done. Right. Yeah. These are things you constantly reiterate and they're, right. they're what help you guys make decisions and get through difficult situations. Something that whenever – it comes up, you address it, I imagine, right? Right, right. Okay. Um, talk about uh, when someone makes a mistake, do they bow low? What does that What does that mean to you? To me, it's not making excuses. Um, so when I bow, bow low, if I made a mistake, you know, Jethro, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. My apologies. In other words, we try to do that. We try to have people not to make excuses. Uh, and like I told you, I don't know if we talked last time, uh, one of my favorite lines that re that relates to that is the Clint Eastwood movie. Mm -hmm. uh, remember, you know, don't piss on my back and tell me it's raining. Right. Uh, you know, and so I say that to staff. Listen, don't lie to me. You know, if you if, if you have an issue, if you apologize, you know, but it's always it's always worse if you don't tell me the truth. It's always worse if you lie. So don't try to, you know, BS me. Mm -hmm. And I and I think I try to do that to them. You know, if I made a mistake, hey, I sorry. I should have done this or that. And so I try to model it for them as I expect them to be with me. Yeah, absolutely. And that modeling of those difficult things of, of admitting mistakes, that's really hard to do for a right. lot of people. How did you develop that skill of, of not having your ego so connected to what you're doing that you can say, I made a mistake? I don't know, Jethro. I think just my background as a musician, as an athlete, um, you're always looking at game film when I was younger. You're always looking at listening to yourself. I just think it's being reflective. And, uh, but I also think the other piece is hard work. You know, for example, if I asked you, Jethro, to do a workshop on Spencer Kagan's cooperative learning model, you better know what the hell you're doing and you better do the, right. you, you know, you better do the reading and research and so on and so forth. So for me, uh, it's the same thing. You have to be confident in your own skill set and, you know, you say you're very good in technology. Well, if I was a principal and I had you as my AP, I would hope that you would soar as a, I don't feel, you know, it doesn't hassle me that you're great at technology. I mean, I'm okay with technology, but, you know, uh, you have your own skill set. And so it's not a, it's not, you know, Stephen Covey talks about a zero sum game. You know, there's mm -hmm. only so much of a pie. And if you have some, I can't get some. Well, no, I mean, you got to think win-win, not win-lose. And so right. in a win-win mindset, whether it's my AP or teachers, hey, if they grow, great. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a reflection. It's not a weakness on my part. Hmm. 
It's fascinating. I really appreciate you saying that. That's that's good advice, I think, for anybody in any position to Well, to if hear. you become a yeah, I mean if you become a principal one day, Jethro, you know, hopefully you'll hire somebody that has a skill set that complements you. Right. That you won't feel like I have to show I'm better than them or whatever. Um, because I do think as an administrative team, you want to have a great collegial atmosphere and you want to tap the strength of not only your teachers, but your administrative colleagues. Yeah, totally. That's powerful. Thank you so much for saying that. It's great. Um, let's go down to the essential questions for administrators. What I really like that you have on this document that you're passing out to your staff is that you're being reflective as well. And the first question on that is how do we balance praising the great work that teachers do with the need to confront behaviors that are not collaborative and aligned with our belief system? Talk me through that one. Well, I wanted the staff to know that that's something I struggle with. You know, I don't want to be a pain in the ass and I don't want to, you know, get on people's cases. But there's sometimes I have to do that as a leader. And I struggle with balancing, praising what great teachers do. But sometimes, you know, I just did it today. I had to deal with a teacher whose parents complained that for extra help, she was on the phone or she didn't show up on time, you know. Mm-hmm. And and as I said to the teacher, you know, why are you putting me in this position? Just do what you got to do, you know. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know. Um, so that balance between calling a teacher to task with praising the great work you know, don't break my shoes. If I, if you did something and I got to call you on it, just do what you got to do. And so I talked to the staff about it in that manner, actually, you know, listen, uh, again, you know, it's the, it's the piss on my back and tell me it's raining. If you do something wrong, I'll, you know, I'll call you on it. I don't like to do it. So don't put me in that position. But I also try to balance, you know, shout outs on my weekly planet and, you know, that kind of stuff, private notes in people's mailboxes after mm-hmm. an informal observation. So you try to balance it out. Yeah. Um, that, uh, Kevin Feldman calls that an ongoing regard with people where you, you give them the bad when you're giving them the good. And you just have this, this understanding that we can talk about these things, even though they're difficult. And, you know, I had a, I had a teacher tell me the other day that she, um, that she appreciated that she's never felt like I've come down on her about a specific thing and made her feel like a horrible person. And that meant a lot to me because I felt like I've, I've been hard on her and I've told her when I felt like she has done something wrong. Um, but I feel like I've tried to do it in a way where she didn't feel like I was, I was, you know, destroying her, um, her ability to be a good teacher by doing that. I was just telling her what she needed to do better and using it as a way to improve. And, um, you know, the last time that we talked, you mentioned that also, and, you know, I've been trying to do that as well to keep those when something bad happens, you talk about it right away and get over it so that you can improve the next time. Yeah, I think it goes to Stephen Covey's emotional bank account. Mm-hmm. And if you have an emotional bank account with people, if you have to make a withdrawal, it's not the end of the world. But I also think Covey talks about a mature person has the balance between courage and consideration. Right. And if you're an administrator that has a lot of courage and no consideration, you're a tiller to hun. Uh-huh. But conversely, if you're an administrator that has a lot of consideration, but no courage, you're a doormat. So you, you got to find the balance there. And I do think, and you know, Jethro, there's a way to do it. Do you call the teacher and have a cup of coffee and say, Jethro, you're killing me, mm-hmm. you know, or do you say, listen, Jethro, I need you to sit down. We have to talk. I mean, do you do it in their room or do you do it in your office? 
Do you catch them in the hallway or do you sit down? There's a lot of ways to deliver messages. And, you know, it's not sometimes what you say. It's how you say it. Do you sit next to them or are they across your desk? Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. I know that sounds – I know that sounds dumb, but you really have to think of those things. No, absolutely. And and each person needs to 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 have their own way of doing that. Right. And and if you treat everybody exactly the same and do exactly the same with all of them, you're not going to be effective in that. It's just not going to work. It's not fair to treat everybody equally. You know, I know that sounds antithetical, but it's not fair to treat everybody equally. I don't treat a person who's um you know, goes way above and beyond and, and misses an advisory the same as I do someone who's missed it five times. It's just not going to happen. Right. And, and you need to be able to be okay with that too. Right. Yeah. And, right. and if you're not okay with that, it's, it's going to be a long, hard road being an administrator, right. I'm sure. Right. Um, so let's talk about some more of these essential questions. Um, how do we encourage staff members who are natural leaders to extend and refine their effect in their department and in the building? Talk about what that means at your school. Well, what I try to do, for example, I'm going to try to have one of my faculty meetings where it's like a mini ASCD conference uh -huh. where teachers uh, run a workshop for their colleagues, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. In department meetings, at faculty meetings, I put people in leadership groups. Um, so I look for opportunities for them to be to rise above the occasion a little bit and contribute because – I really want them to have great skills and I don't want them to just, um, you know, uh, have it um, within them. I want them to share it. And so we right. talk a lot about that, that I expect them to be leaders, you know, because I, 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 my, say, my saying is I'm a leader among many leaders and I want them I like to understand that. that. I like that a lot. Um, so how, how often do you give the, uh, the opportunity for your teachers to to present and lead faculty meetings and things like that? Well, I try to do it as frequently as I can. In faculty meetings, I assign roles, you know, uh, you know, in my groups. One's the recorder, one's a taskmaster, one's a gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. um, in department meetings, we brainstorm ideas where they bring it back to the department. Um, I ask people to share uh, examples that I share with the faculty. So, you know, you're always looking for opportunities to tap the expertise of the staff that you have. Gotcha. Um, the next question that you have on your expectations is uh, how do we balance an open door policy with decisions that need to be followed? And you did talk a little bit about this before. Um, but talk a little bit more about how you still can hear people concern, people's concerns after you've made the decision and how you balance that with um, saying you just got to do it. You know, I, I, I do think it's style. I think one of my beliefs is with teachers, the old saying that if I, I can endure any what if I understand the why. Mm -hmm. And I try to always be – I try to always clarify the why of what we're doing. And I say this, if you may disagree with it, but here's my rationale, you know, and after we have the faculty meet, you have a concern, come see me, but this is why we're doing whatever. Right. Um, from as simple as kids being able to wear backpacks in the building to not having backpacks, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, again, I think it's being transparent, mm -hmm. um, you know, saying to the staff, look, I know some of you are not going to be happy with this. Here's why we're doing it this way. I've listened to everyone's input. Here's the decision I'm making. If you're still upset, come see me when you get a chance. 
Right. Yeah. I like that. I think that's, that's good. Uh, the next one is, uh, how, and I'm just so people who are listening, I'm not reading all these. I'm just taking the ones that I think are the most, uh, the most powerful that, that I think most principles are not, um, talking about as much. And this one I really like because I think it combines a lot of things. How do we, how should we respond when people do not have an accurate picture of themselves? Talk about that. I I think that's awesome. I got, I got my own comments, but I want to hear yours first. Let let me start by saying, Jethro, this may sound funny, but I operate on three, three uh, principles. The first of the principle is the world is average. The world's a C. We got some Mm -hmm. people in the branches and some people in the roots. The second principle is that people are nuts. And the third principle is people do not see themselves as accurately as they think they do. Um, Some of us are better at it than others. But generally, people sometimes are not great. Having said that, uh, what I tell my staff is, look, you may be seen, you may see yourself sometimes differently than the perception of you that's out there. So if I feel it's appropriate, I will share with you, if we get comments from parents, if we get comments from kids, and, you know, sometimes if we get letters not requesting to have you as their teacher the following Mm -hmm. year. Um, I will share things with you and it's not an indictment of you. It's not that I agree with it all the time, but I want you to understand that how you view yourself may be different than how others see you. And so I try to give them, I try to hold a mirror to them when I can with information that makes sense. I won't allow a teacher to be, you know, a crazy parent to label a teacher and kill a teacher. But like in the instance I talked about before, where the teacher is not showing up for hold for uh, extra help, I'll say, look, you know, in your if your perception is you think you're always there, here is the perception that I'm hearing from parents. It's something you need to deal with. So I'm giving you the information. I'm empowering you to do something to change that perception. Now, if I think the perception is accurate, I'll tell the teacher that I'll say, look, I got to be honest with you. I've, I've been down the hall. I've seen you on the phone at a time, you know, I sent you a note a while back. So I think you need to kind of check yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of those two. That, does that make sense? Yeah, that sure does. And what I really love about that is that your, your idea of holding a mirror up to someone that is, that's powerful. That's what I like about that is you're not casting judgment on them necessarily. You know, you're saying, just so you know, this is how other people view you right. and and somebody being able to have that information so that they can make choices and changes i think is really powerful and there's there's definitely something to that you know if if we think we're great and everybody you know just pats us on the back and says good job all the time you know we're going to start thinking that's what the case is and behind our backs they could be saying this guy is not at all how how i'm saying he is because i don't have the courage to tell him the truth and it's important well, to have some of those other ideas one thing that I think we all have to have as administrators is you have to have some staff members who you have a good relationship and trust with. You can say, hey, um, John, how's that memo I sent that? How's it playing out there? What are the issues? You know, mm-hmm. talk to me. You know, kind of you have to have those go to people that you rely on. And I think that's critical. I know some administrators, new administrators may think that's a weakness, but it's not. You know, you need those people 
I have a female print, assistant principal who used to say to me, you know, you need another woman to tell you that you don't look good in that dress. You may not <laughs> want to wear that dress, you know? And I always thought that was a funny analogy, but it's true. You need to someone to say, Hey, you know, you may need to rethink that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, one of my principals was a, um, he, he had those people that he could rely on and he would ask them what, what was working, what wasn't. And then he would also get them to go and sell things to the rest of the staff. Um, right. when he had an idea and he knew that it was dropping a bomb in the middle of faculty meeting was not going to be effective, but getting some influential people to start spreading some ideas about this topic, that was powerful enough that other people could start buying into it right. and think about it right. first. And then when he said it, then they could say, Oh yeah, I do have some questions about this, but I think I can go along with it. And that's a, yeah, powerful you got to do the you got to do the prep work first, obviously. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then at the end of this uh, expectations document, um, you have the just general essential questions. Um, and a lot of them refer back to, to what we've already talked about. Um, and so I'm just going to look at one of those and that's how can we use data to improve our practice without becoming defensive? Um, I'm at an elementary school. It's different at an elementary school than a high school. I know that or a middle school. Um, but my, my teachers take their work very personally as most teachers do, but especially in the elementary school, these are very nurturing, loving people who have incredible amounts of patience. Um, how do you get that conversation to go about data without making teachers feel like they need to be on the defensive about what they're doing? Well, I think my analogy, again, is an athletic analogy. If I go for a golf lesson, the pro doesn't say to me, God, Andy, you stink. You know, the pro will say to me, Andy, you're taking the club outside and you're dropping it in too much. Mm -hmm. And I try to use that analogy with staff that the data is what the data is. I didn't make it up, you know. It, so you're the professional. You're the expert. If it says that kids are having trouble with mean, median, and mode, that they're not understanding that the questions they missed on the formative assessment is related to that, what do you think it is? Is, is, is it an issue with the way the question was worded? Is it the way that we spent time on it or whatever? So I try to tap into their expertise based on the data. I never say, guys, you guys stink. We did terrible on this. What mm -hmm. the hell's wrong with you? You know, that's just obviously not the, the response to take. But I do think – you have to take the stance of we have an obligation as in any profession to look at our results and make adjustments where necessary. Right. And I believe that to be true. Yeah. And sometimes teachers need to be reminded repeatedly to just step back and not take it so personally and say, like you said, it's, it's, you didn't make up the data. It is what it is. And we can only do something good with it or we can ruin our lives by doing something negative with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can go home and uh, kick your dog and uh, start, you know, drinking heavily for God's sakes, <laughs> or you can just, you know, you can just say, okay, let me, let me be, let me be um, objective and let me look at it. And I, I do think it's the culture that you set up in your building. And I think it's how you do it again. Do you go to the teacher's room? Do you sit around on, in, all in a, in a circle um, or do you make a formal presentation, you know, where you're standing up and they're sitting down? Do you offer everybody a cup of coffee? You know, let's, you know, it's, it's the atmosphere you create also. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think people don't attend to those ideas as much as they should. Um, where you sit in the room, 
what you do. Uh, I really do believe it's, it's that, that those are just important. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it's important. Yeah. Why don't you keep talking about how you create that atmosphere and some of the intentional things that you do to help, help your teachers be in a comfortable learning focused atmosphere? I just think it's, I think it's your personality. I think it's, it's your openness. I think it's your ability to balance personal information. You know, if you have a, a teacher whose mother is sick, you, you, you know, you send them a note, you go seek them out. You know, as Covey says, again, you put the big rocks in first, you know, the relationship mm-hmm. issue is big. And so I really do believe a lot of this is the emotional bank account that you have with your staff. And I think once you have that, you can deliver messages that are will, will be better heard. But if you don't have that trust and you don't have that relationship, um, it ain't good, you know, because people will say, well, then it's a gotcha system. Right. So I think it's really how you interact with people and it's, it's what you project as who you are. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I, I see. Yeah. So how do you know when you, when you've got that atmosphere, that culture, that um, emotional bank account built up, how do you know when you've arrived there? Well, I think you ask people. I mean, I think that you, you know, you tap the people and say, so how are we doing? It's like, we used to have a mayor in New York, Mayor Koch, and he always used to say, so how am I doing? You know, and in essence, I think you have to do that. What's going on? How's it going? The article I sent out, what did you think? Is it doable? Is it not doable? Um, What did you think about my comment about X? How did you feel about it? And I think the the major issue is you have to respect confidentiality too, because if people don't think that they can share something with you in confidence, you're doomed, mm-hmm. you know, all bets are off. And so I think that's really critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, you're, you're talking about these things, Andy, like it's like, it's all second nature to you. Right. And at this point it probably is. You've been at uh Candlewood middle school for 15 years. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, you've spent a lot of right. time doing this and, and for someone who may be new to a building or um, a new principal, they may not have that that skill yet, and and they may need to develop. What would you say to them to to help them develop that skill? Just going back to Covey for a second, I think the Seven Habits book is the Bible, um, and his book Principle Centered Leadership. One of the biggest habits is seek first to understand before being understood. Mm-hmm. And for new administrators, I would do a listening tour, you know, for the first couple of months. And my first faculty meeting, I asked three questions. What should we start to do that you think is important? What should we continue to do that you're very proud of? And what should we stop doing tomorrow, you Mm -hmm. know, immediately? So so the start, stop, continue idea right off the bat for a new principal shows the staff that you're open Mm -hmm. to listening. But I believe that too many people want to prove themselves too quickly and come in as change agents without at least getting a lay of the land. And so for me, it's the seek first to understand before being understood. Mm -hmm. I think that's key. Yeah, I I think you're right. And and when I've sought to do that, to be understood first or to understand first and then be understood, um, I feel that I've always been much more effective in all the different kinds of leadership positions I've had. Um, You know, it takes a lot for people to trust someone that they are forced to follow. Right. 
and you got to get to the point where you're leading them along rather than them being forced to follow you. And I think that you gave them some great ideas of how you currently do that. Well, also, Jeff, the last thing I'll say is I think you have to be honest with staff. When you first come to a building, if you're a new principal, you say, guys, you don't know me. You don't know if you can trust me. You don't know the relationship. I hope that I build it with you. I hope that's something I'm going to work hard at, and I hope you see it. I don't – I think you have to be straight with people. I don't think you can – you know, you want to be, like, secretive about it, you know? Right. And, and, and that, I think that helps with being open with the faculty. Yeah. What would you say if you went into a school and – you knew there were, let's say you got assigned to a new middle school for next year and you knew there were major problems and the district was basically sending you in to clean things up. How would you, how would you approach the staff where you knew there were gross violations of what they should actually be doing that for whatever reason they got away with before and you personally can't let them get away with them? How, how would you approach that? I think I would approach it by first, again, being transparent and being honest and say, look, I'm coming here. You know, I don't know you guys. You don't know me. I don't know what's going on, but the building does not have a great reputation in and around the district. And I'm not going to be a hatchet man, but I am going to try to get around and see. I want to see what's going on. I want to talk to you. I want to get a sense of the building. So, you know, in the first couple of months, I'm going to try to do my best to be in classrooms, to be around the building. I'll try to see you guys in small groups. I want to get your sense of it. I don't know if it's accurate. I don't know if it's true and not true. So let's let's work on this together. But I wouldn't lie to them and tell them that um, I heard you guys are the greatest things in the world. Right. And, you know, not nah, because they know that you, they know you're full of baloney. So I think in a nice way, I would be honest and say, look, I don't know. I don't know you guys. You don't know me. I don't know. But here's the reputation that this building has. And uh, let's see if we can, if that is true, let's see if we can change it. If it's not true, I need the information to, to go against it. So let's work together to do this. And we will do this collaboratively together and so on. However, I do have expectations that people do what they need to do, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can, I don't think you can fake them out. I think that's the wrong approach to take. Right. They'll, they'll see through it or they'll never trust you and you'll never get the traction you need to do anything. Right. Um, so you've mentioned a couple of times, um, we're going to change gears now. You mentioned a couple of times your planet. Can you, uh, can you talk a little bit about what that is and give a little more detail? (laughs) The weekly planet is something I send out every Monday, upcoming events, um, reminders, and then I give an article every week that I highlight, that I underline, that I post questions, something to enhance their professionalism. And then I do shout outs as I walk around the building, you know, seeing good stuff. I always do that. And, uh, you know, the one thing I, I never ask my teachers to do something I don't do. They know that I'm in the deep end of the pool with reading and research and, and they tease me about it. But they know that I do it. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I highlight the articles and I underline the articles is I want them to see that I read it, that I'm not just giving it to them to read. And I post questions on the article. So, you know, and the shout outs, as you know, are always good, you know, to, to, to praise teachers and so on. So it's something I do every week. Yeah. Um, that is one thing that um, I – so you sent me one that's about vocabulary and it was right. about – assessments that faculty members are sending in and some suggestions for what questions to ask them. So which inequalities represent in the graph below say evaluate to the start of the sentence, evaluate which inequality. Is that an example of one of your planets? 
Yeah, um, the vocabulary, the common core vocabulary words, you know, um, the book by Marilee Sprencer, I put an article out about that. Uh, next week, I'm putting an article out that just came in Ed Week, uh, Questionable Education Lessons from China, mm-hmm. about the problems with just teaching to the test and how, you know, the parents there, you know, the stress and so on and so forth. And I'll highlight it and I'll put questions on it. So sometimes it's politics, like, how teachers and administrators are being evaluated. Sometimes it's instructional practice. Sometimes it's a strategy, you know, so it, it really varies every week. Since I have so many weeks to do it, I try to give them a, a bunch of different ideas. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, so I probably should have started the interview with this and I think I'll probably okay. switch it around. Tell, tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, uh, you know, information okay. about who made you, who you are, that kind of stuff, your school, that I've been a principal here for 15 years. I was a principal in another district prior to that and uh, a teaching career. Um, and uh, I've been in seven districts throughout my career. So I've, I've been, as I moved up, I've been around uh, a lot. Um, in terms of, uh, again, in terms of my background and, and, and what molded me, I mean, I've, I've been lucky to have, in, when I was younger, some good mentors. But I do also think it's, it's being a musician and being an athlete. I think the ability to constantly look at oneself and improve oneself and, and try to get better at your craft, whether it's, whether it's basketball or classical guitar, you know, my background was that for many years. So I do think that's a piece of who you are. And when you're a member of a team or a member of a performing group, I think it may come a little bit easier that you understand that you're part of a system. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I also teach at Stony Brook University. I'm also president of my administrative association. I work with Grant Wiggins. I'm a consultant with Grant for UBD. So I'm involved in a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so keeps me busy. I bet. Um, would you also uh, – so at the end of each interview, I ask, I ask two questions. The first one is what advice would you give to a principal today – so they can start doing something to be a transformative principal tomorrow. The first I would advice, advice I would give is every semester, pick one content piece and one process piece that you're going to get better on. So if your background is math, work on it that you can teach an AP Cal class. And if you don't know about differentiated instruction, learn about it. I think each year you have to focus on something that makes you better each semester, even Google research conferences, books, and work your butt off to be better at that and become an expert at something. And if you have to pick a spot, pick process, pick, you know, differentiated, cooperative learning, understanding by design, essential questioning, whatever the, whatever it is driven by data, those kind of things be at the top of your game, just like you'd want the doctor that you go to your accountant that you want to go to, You'll be mm-hmm. at the top of your game. And there's no shortcut to it. Get off your butt. Spend three to four hours a week reading. Uh, if you have young kids, get up before they get up. You know, Sunday right. morning, have a cup of coffee, but do it. Yeah, and and that is really important, too. Um, talk about how you fit all your, um, your research and reading time in, because that's something else that I think is fascinating. Well, you know, Sunday night, I try to plan my activities for the week. Um, 
Sometimes, even during the day, I'll lock my door for 20 minutes and tell my secretary, you know, unless the superintendent calls and the building's on fire, don't interrupt me. I got to get through this article. And I really try to plan that as much as I can, obviously. You know, stuff happens every day. I try to do it um, on the weekend. I try to do it once or twice a week after dinner. I will just force myself to sit down and go through the ASED journal or the visible learning book that I'm reading, you know, that kind of thing. I think you have to plan it. If you, if it don't plan it, it doesn't get done. Yeah. And, and the two things you said, if you don't plan, it doesn't get done and there's no shortcut. No uh, shortcut. Those are vital. And I can't reiterate those enough. And so that's why I'm highlighting them again, because you said them first, but you know, that's just okay. so important. So, um, and then the last question I ask is what is something in your office that is there to help inspire you or remind you of why you're here being a principal Something in your office that that you well, think is unique. Uh, I got a plaque from an old district I was in, and they gave it to me, and it says, people follow a good leader because he makes them believe in him. People follow a great leader because he makes them believe in themselves. And I always thought that was a, a great way to think, and I appreciate getting that plaque from my prior district. And that kind of is, is, is what I believe in. So – I hope that makes sense to everybody. And uh, Jethro, it was great to talk to you. It was great to talk to you too. Thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate it. All right. Listen, have a great spring semester, okay? Wow. Just an amazing interview with Andy Green. He is phenomenal. And I am so lucky that I was able to interview him. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure that you take a look at the show notes at transformativeprinciple.com. This episode has a lot of them because Andy was so generous and shared so much of what he does with us. And please don't forget to take my survey on uh, transformativeprinciple.com about what tech tools you cannot live without. Thank you to our sponsor, SaneBox. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.